I'm looking for similarities in the way troublemakers think. This is Steve Sinclair, co-founder of Trouble Group. Join me as I learn from others who are shaking things up. Well, here's Trouble. His name is David Feinberg of the Pure Juicer Company. David is an engineer. He walked into the cold press juicing industry, which had been dominated by a company that hadn't done a single bit of innovation, and a lot of people are very glad he shook things up. Welcome, David. Hi, Steve. Let's start off with this. Tell the audience about cold press juicing. Right. So in the world of juicing, everybody uses the terms slow juicer and cold press, but truly the only juicers that are cold press juicers are juicers that have a press. In our case, it's a hydraulic press. So there are really very few juicers on the market that have a true cold press in it. And we do what is called two-stage juicing, which is grind and press. So you actually take the pulp, you take the vegetable, you grind it into a fine mash, you fold it into a filter cloth, and then you put it into a hydraulic press, which squeezes it at 5,000, over 5,000 pounds of force. And this extracts all of the juice, all of the nutrients, all of the enzymes. And I've, I've seen the, the remains of fruits and vegetables once the juice is out of them, and they're almost as dry as toast, meaning you really have pulled out just about everything that can come out, right? Well, actually, we're learning that there is yet more to get out, and we're improving our grinding process so that our uh, pulp puck is about half the size that it currently is. What we've learned is that the finer you grind the pulp, the higher the extraction rate is. And so we're experimenting with grinding finer and finer pulp, and this leaves us with an even smaller, even drier puck. So. Our, our juicer is very good right now. We're getting yields um, as as high as 83% celery juice. We get an 83% extraction rate. Carrots, we get a 73% extraction rate. Apple, 75. And we believe there's another 5 or 10% to be gained in all of these. So we're, we're looking for at the next edge. I love the fact that you said that because what I hear you say is you're not done innovating. Not at all. We came into the market and we we disrupted two-stage juicing, and it's my intention to disrupt all of juicing soon. So as an entrepreneur and a troublemaker, those, those two are interchangeable to me, do you remember when the idea to start Pure Juicer hit you? The idea came slowly, actually. It, um, what, what happened was I was making more and more parts for the competitor juicer so that uh, I had my own part supply chain. And at some point, you cross a threshold and you say, why aren't I making all of the parts? Why aren't I making my own machine? And so, yeah, at some point, there was a breakthrough moment either at the dinner table or in the shop where it was, well, why don't we just do this the way we want to do it and, and set our own standard? So 
It's funny how people don't remember that moment. I don't remember mine either, but uh, but I know that it happened because here I am. <laughs> so tell me some of the biggest obstacles you had to come overcome uh, to get Pure Juicer up uh, up and running. The single biggest obstacle is that in order to make a machine like this, you can't make the machine until you have the tools to make the parts, which are called tooling. And tooling for a machine like this can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So to begin to do production, you need to own the tooling. And so the challenge always was to find manufacturers who we could work with who were willing to do small production runs and and whose tooling costs were affordable. And so the single biggest, and that was the single biggest challenge. And it, it, it gets compounded because you can no longer do this in the United States. We would all love to be able to do it in the United States, but the company, but we no longer have a supply chain that supports it. So what happens is you're forced to work with uh, over, you're forced to work with overseas machine shops and overseas tool makers uh, to to get the parts made, and you need to find vendors who are willing to work in small quantities. So you're basically saying there's no longer a manufacturing ecosystem for startups. That's largely correct for this kind of manufacturing. You, you could, you know, you could CNC, you could make one, you could do a, you could do a, a, a proof of concept. Prototype, yeah. But in order to, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't have an ecosystem anymore. That's fascinating. What a hurdle to get over. Yeah. So what have been your, your biggest single opportunities so far? Well, the opportunities have become our personal growth. You know, the, the, the world is not running to us saying, we want to buy a thousand juicers, you know, please sell me a boatload of juicers. So <laughs> it, it isn't a sales opportunity. You, you know, when you say that, the, the first thing that comes to mind is a sales opportunity or you know, a moment where we were suddenly successful, like we went on Shark Tank and we got a lot of money <laughs> or something like that. Right. Yeah. The, the real opportunity has been that in order to do this, this is a homegrown business and that we can only put one foot in front of the other and take the steps. And I've had to go through all kinds of personal growth to, you know, find the right type of people, to find the factory, to, yeah, just to grow the company. So for me, the biggest opportunity is it's been an opportunity to challenge myself late in life to learn. It's been tremendously difficult. How difficult was it to take on the role of CEO? To be... CEO, the main characteristic is leadership. And I, for years, have not wanted to, well, I've wanted to lead, but I haven't wanted to take credit. And you really need to do both. You need to, you need to own and say, 
yes, I did that. Yes, it was the right thing to do, or it was the smart thing to do. And I've always wanted to be the guy in the background and to have and to be recognized for it. But if you want to be a CEO, you need to lead and you need to inspire. And so you need to own it. And um, learning to own it has been a challenge for me. Why? Are you shy? No, I'm, I'm, well, no, I'm not shy. I mean, you you find that you're, you know, you maybe you're shy and appropriate. It's, no, I think it has more to do with uh, insecurity. You know, you, you know, I, I, I haven't wanted to put myself out there. I haven't wanted to be judged or I've judged other people for, you know, for, taking credit for things that they didn't really do. And so there's a balance, you know, you need to take credit for what you've done. You need to be proud of what you've done. And I've just always been really cautious about that. Um, So some of it is modesty, but I think there's a, the the flip side of pride is is just as bad. And I'm not thinking of the word for it, but being right-sized about what you've done is is really hard and you're swinging between pride or not taking credit and it's taken a while to to be like yes i have done this yes you know through hard work you know other people have been inspired through making a long series of good decisions you know other people are impressed it's like today this really funny thing happens is that people will say well you know you're a genius, you know, because you did this and because you can think of all of these things. And I don't think of myself as a genius, but the, the, the funny part is now that we're getting successful, you know, and now that the company is turning the corner, well, then you, you get a different level of respect. Like people are like, it's like, wow, you pulled that off instead of you still haven't made it yet. The difference between the company being successful and us being recognized for being successful has been tremendous for me personally. And based on that, I am willing to take ownership and say, yes, I I did this. Yes, this was my hard work and the hard work of my team. And yes, I was the person who was the visionary to see it through. And before it was all aspirational, and while it was aspirational, just somehow I, I wouldn't take the credit for it. And now I'm willing to take the credit for it. So you and the company have grown together. I would say so, yeah. I, I wouldn't normally push that far into a subject, David, but I feel the truth of what you said because I'm, I'm similar. Yeah. And, and I'm uh, very cautious about thumping my chest, you know. You look at people who, they don't have any problem taking credit for what other people have done. And, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and you're like, I don't want to be that guy. I know. It's amazing. So, David, what advice would you give to a younger David Feinberg? Whatever advice I would have given myself, I wouldn't have listened to. 
I was on the artist's journey and I needed to gather the experiences of a lifetime to do what I do today. My advice today would have been go deeper into all the explorations. Don't think about money, ambition, success. Just follow your art. I love that. Follow your art, follow your heart. That's great. Thank you. So how has your disruption of this industry made the industry better? Well, we've reproven the axiom that competition is good. Pure has made two-stage juicing more accessible and affordable. More people can now afford the best juice and the best juicer. Before we entered the market, the cost for both new and used machines was too high. New machines were $2,600 and used machines were selling for up to 80% of the cost of new. Now, new machines have dropped 20% to around $2,100, and used machines often sell for only half the cost of new. This is because, due to the laws of supply and demand, there are now more machines out there and more choices. So there's more supply to fulfill demand, and so the price has gone down. And we've proven the Keynesian axiom that a strong primary market is supported by a healthy secondary market. So the more juicers we make, the better it is for everybody because we're driving the cost of juicing down. And improving the output of those juicers. Uh, Yeah. And quality is improving and durability is improving and, and aesthetics are improving and everything is improving. Yeah. I hope to make, a machine that's twice as good for half as much. So what does the future hold? I don't want to reveal too much of what the future holds, but I have in my head what the next juicer is. And we are discussing now, you know, how to do proof of concept on it. It's very clear that you need to make a machine that anybody can use, that's simple to use, and where the health benefits and all the benefits are obvious and that when you're all done juicing you take it apart and you put it in the dishwasher and when you put your dishes away you reassemble it and then you fire it up next time so you want to i want to make a simpler juicer that makes better juice for less money and is easier to and that while our machine is easy to clean up and everything that's even easier to clean up. So I think, and, and this, will, this will speak to everybody juicing. Right now, we exist in this rarefied world because we make a $2,000 machine. So we're at the top, very top of the market. And, you know, our volumes are relatively low. But as we make a better and better machine for less money, then we can actually challenge the the mass market merchandisers of juicers like Curam and Omega and you know and we can make it but once again make a better mousetrap and then more people get more juice will get higher yields from their produce and more healthful juice from their machines and we will you know hopefully change um juicing the same way the the um the iPhone change telephones. It's just, you know, there's juicers out there that people haven't even thought of making. And we want to make that juicer. That's awesome. I have one final question for you. Yes. And I still have trouble phrasing it because this podcast is still kind of new. So 
It's this. What's at the heart of thinking that you can build a better mousetrap? Because that's what you did. It's a better mousetrap. What, what drives people to do this? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. So years ago, I owned a sewing factory. And I, I, I had this fabulous employee, a woman named Ha Wu. And I had another fabulous employee, a woman named Linda. And Linda decided that she wanted to be named Why Me. And then she decided that Georgia was, and Georgia, who worked for me, wanted to be named Why Bother. And I wanted to be named <laughs> Why Not. And... Oh, and that's great. That's really like to get back to what the troublemaker side of this, you know, that's who I've always been. I've always been, well, why not? Why can't we do this? And, and, and I guess that's what's different, you know, that is that what I'm trying to see is, is a path to doing something new. Why can't we do that? Why, you know, how can we do that? And it's different from, you know, trying to make money incrementally or anyway, it's just different. So, I, you know, the world of possibilities. So why not? Why can't we do that? And uh, we've seen it. We've seen it everywhere. You know, people push the boundaries of everything all of the time and new things are being invented. So if, if you believe that something can't be done, it certainly won't be done. But if you believe that it can you'll find a way. Perfect closing, David. We're out of time. I want to thank you very much for sharing your experiences and enlightening us on how you've made some of these decisions. And, and I'm, I'm energized every time I talk to you. It's always fun. Thank you, too. After we process this podcast, we'll send you the link, pass it around, and we're going to do the same. I want more people to learn from, uh, from what I've been been the beneficiary of all these years of knowing you and watching you develop the Pure Juicer. Our listeners should check out purejuicer.com. That's P-U-R-E juicer.com. And it's a really cool website. And buy one of these things because you'll be glad you did. Really glad you did. The juice is spectacular. And I feel healthy just having one in my kitchen. David, thank you. You're so welcome, Steve. Keep being that troublemaker. <laughs> I, I will promise. This has been a Trouble Group podcast. Learn more about us at troublegroup.com. If you're a troublemaker and want to be on the podcast, email steve at troublegroup.com. Mm-hmm.